If you've listened to Shameless before, you'll know that these chats are normally called In Conversations, interviews with influential Australians about their lives, their careers, and what they've learned along the way. And we love doing them, but these are unusual times. And to reflect those times, we'll be moving to In Isolation episodes for a little while. Interviews with women and men we know and love, not from a studio, but from their bedroom and lounge rooms wearing bed socks and pajamas, connected via video link. We'll still be asking about their successes and their failures, but also about this weird world we've found ourselves in. How are they coping? Where are they finding morsels of light? And how have their views of the world changed when day-to-day life looks nothing like it used to? Because how we respond to a tragedy says a lot about who we are. Are we optimists? Pessimists? Something in between. And in a search for meaning, what can a global pandemic uncover about ourselves? Hello and welcome to this In Isolation episode of Shameless with Turia Pitt. For those unfamiliar, and I don't think there would be many of you, Turia is a mining engineer, athlete and motivational speaker who, in 2011, was caught in a grass fire while running an ultra marathon. Turia wasn't expected to survive that fire. She suffered burns to 65% of her body and it was hours before medical attention arrived. But she did survive. And in the almost decade since, she's rebuilt a remarkably impressive life. She's written multiple books, including her best-selling memoir, Unmasked, and has gone on to become one of the country's most in-demand speakers. She's the mother of two beautiful little boys and is passionate about helping others lead happier, more confident lives. Just a really quick note before we jump into this one. You may hear a teeny tiny bit of rustling in the audio as Taria speaks, which was just the microphone on Taria's headphones rubbing on her jumper. But there is so much wisdom and goodness in this episode. We just can't wait for you to hear it. Here is Taria. Taria Pitt, welcome to Shameless in Isolation. We are so thrilled to have you. Thank you. Thank you for having me in isolation. On that theme, Taria, we're asking everyone, set the scene for us because we're not all in the same room. Where are you Mm. right now? Are you in your house? Are you at home? What are you doing? I'm in my house. I live in Wallingwalk on the south coast of New South Wales. And I have to say, I know things are a little bit different for people in Sydney or maybe in Melbourne and definitely all across the world. Uh, but I have to say, being in Mollymook, it's you almost feel a little bit removed from the whole global pandemic thing, in a way. So you know, we're still able to go outside. We've been going surfing. We go to the beach because there's not a whole heap of people who live down here, anyway. So I think, in a way, it's been good where I live, and also I've got a new baby, which I told you guys about just before the the interview kicked off. So I haven't. I guess life for me isn't that different than it normally is. You touched a little bit just then on sort of spending time in the outdoors and and fitness and exercise. Mm. What role did those things play in your life as you were growing up? Yeah, as a kid, I was pretty, I think a little bit out there. I really liked geology. I liked reading. I liked exploring. I I used to, do you remember those Archie comics? Yes. I I used to buy those and I would do the characters in different voices and I'd record it on like my audio cassette thing and then I'd make my family listen to it and and comment on it. So I did a lot of activities by myself without a whole heap of people around. I had three brothers and I did have friends 
but I spend a lot of time on my own, which I think now as an adult, it's, I think it's a good skill to have to be able to entertain yourself and to be able to keep yourself on task and on track and, and do the things that, that you want to do and not necessarily be held back by what other people want you to do as well. So I think in a way that was beneficial for me. And I, I had a really good childhood. It was idyllic. It was in Wallingwook where I live now. And we grew up in a house on a cliff overlooking the surf and we'd go surfing in the morning before school and I'd go for runs on the beach after school. So I had a, I had a really good childhood. I guess I always used like exercise and, and being outdoors and and running. I, I always used them as tools to manage my mood. So if I was feeling angry, I'd, I'd go for a run and I'd get it all out of me. Or if I just needed to clear my head, I'd go to the beach and go for a swim. Or if I just felt a bit a bit sad or a bit down, I'd go for a surf and I'd feel better afterwards. So I don't know if I really recognised that effect when I was younger, but now as an adult, I can see it was it was really good that I that I used exercise and I used the outdoors to help me to manage my my moods and my emotions. And I think that's a really good skill to have. Absolutely. Turia, speaking of fitness, you were 24 and obviously incredibly fit because you're competing in a 100-kilometer ultra marathon in the Australian Outback. It was 2011 and you encountered an out-of-control grass fire. I want to know, you suffered burns to 65% of your body and I'm guessing a lot of the listeners listening to this would have heard your story before, but we want to specifically ask you about what that experience taught you about resilience in particular. Yeah, I guess at at the time it was hard because I was going through, you know, recovery and hospital and bandage changes and just the daily, I guess the daily shit that I that I had to go through. And there wasn't it wasn't like there was a whole heap of space for me to be able to step back and say, oh wow, well this experience is obviously teaching me a lot about resilience and and, it, and it's teaching me, you know, what a strong person I am. I and I didn't really have those learnings at the time. I guess when I was going through the shit, I just had it in my head every day when I wake up. When I'd wake up, I just think all I've got to do is is get through today. You know, that's all I've got to do. I didn't spend too much time worrying about what my future would look like or worrying about whether or not I'd go back to work or thinking about if I'd ever run again or wondering how I'd be able to use my hands again. I, I, I guess I didn't spend too much energy worrying about what the end goal would look like or what my future would look like and instead I just focused on what little steps I could do that day which would help me to get better so you know I'd say well today I'm going to walk three laps of the hallway and when I did that I'd be able to give myself a pat on the back so that was how I approached my recovery it sounds really like simple and and straightforward when I explain it but I guess that's all that's all the energy that I could give to that, if that makes sense. I couldn't spend too much time worrying or, or thinking about what if and what if that and what if that. I could just focus on the day ahead of me and, and doing that day as best as I could. And that's still what I do today. You know, every morning when I wake up, I just ask myself, well, what, what's one thing I could do today that would make today great? I think when you say it's a simple kind of mindset, it, it is in a way, but it's also something that not a lot of people would be able to adopt going through the kinds of things mm. that you're going through. Mm. And I'm interested, why do you think you responded that way? Did you have people around you giving you advice to say, just consider your day like this? Or do you think it was intrinsic to you? Like, do you think it's nature or nurture the way that you were able to deal with those really tough days? I think it's a little bit of both. Like I, I, I had really great parents growing up. My mum is 
a super happy, super optimistic, super positive person, it actually gets a little bit annoying sometimes because you know how if you just want to have a bitch about something, you don't always necessarily need someone to be like, you know, well, think about it like this or think about it like that. Um, so my mom is really awesome. She's always really optimistic and positive. And my dad is he's a bit of a hard ass. He's quite stoic and he taught me a lot of formative lessons when I was growing up. I remember once my brothers and I, we missed the bus to school. We knew my dad would be so angry if he found out. So we just wagged school for the day. And like parents do, my dad found out and he was furious. He dug a trench in the backyard and myself and my brothers had to run down to the beach, grab a handful of sand, run back home, place it in the trench and we weren't allowed to finish until that trench was full. So that's that was like a tough lesson that my dad instilled in us. But I guess in a way, as an adult now, I'm, I'm grateful for all of those lessons because it's part of who I am and it, it taught me even back then that I was capable of things that I had no idea about as well. Taria, you've committed your career to empowering others, whether that be through your motivational speeches or through your books or your new goal-setting course. And I wonder, was that always an obvious choice for you after that day in 2011? How did that happen? No, it, it wasn't like it was an obvious choice for me. I remember in hospital, I got I got a letter off one of the producers at 60 Minutes who wanted to do a story on me. And I thought about that for a while. And the reason I, I did it was because I, I guess I wanted to get some kind of, of public buy-in into my story. And I'd read a couple of articles and stuff that had been written about me. And I just, I didn't like how I was portrayed. I didn't like, it was almost like I was being pitied or like people felt sorry for me. And and I guess I wanted to have the chance to be able to tell my story in the way that, that I wanted to tell it. I didn't want to be like a sad sob story. I wanted to help inspire people and help empower people. So I think after that 60 Minutes episode came out, it was pretty popular. And that's I guess that was the launching point for this new career that I had because I'm actually, I was a mining engineer when I had my accident. Yes, yeah, so this is like vastly different. It's like worlds apart. Then I, yeah, I know. given like what the nature of your career looks like now, how do you deal with fame? Because you are incredibly well known and incredibly adored by a lot of people. And for that to come in the last few years, how have you kind of navigated that? Have you spent much time thinking about it? No, because it's like, you, you know, you think about tools like Instagram and and Facebook and you know, I'm always putting content out there and then, you know, it's only natural that that might get picked up or that people talk about it. But I think it's obviously that's the intention of putting something on a public site like Instagram, you know. So I have to kind of remind myself that I'm I'm very much consciously in the public space. It's a conscious decision. It's not like it was thrust upon me. You know, I decided to do 60 Minutes. I decided to write a book. I decided to give talks. I, you know, I decided to write a newsletter every week. So it's a very, it's very much a conscious decision. But I don't feel famous where I live. Like I live in Mollymook, which is a town where I grew up and where everyone kind of remembers me being a 10-year-old kid. So I guess I don't really feel famous where I live. And I definitely don't feel famous around my friends and family. They are always just heaping shit on me. I think it's a management <laughs> technique. Oh, that's what friends and family are for, right? Yeah, yeah. We want to know, we're asking every person who comes on these In Isolation episodes the same question in that what were your plans for 2020 before everything, for lack of a better word, turned to shit? Yeah. You know what? This period of things turning to shit 
has actually been really good for me and I'm, 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 I'm acknowledging that it hasn't been good for everyone. I know people have lost their jobs and people all over the world are, are facing some really harsh circumstances at the moment. But for me, it's been good because I've got a new baby and I've been forced to just take a step back and, and slow things down a lot. You know, I can't travel, I can't give speeches, I can't do a lot of the things that I was working on with my partners. All of those things aren't an option right now. So in a way, it's been good for me to have this forced time out, so to speak. What's that been like having a newborn baby in this time? Is it kind of, I mean, this might be the silliest thing. I clearly don't have kids, but is it kind of nice to have that bubble to yourself or do you kind of crave now having people back in your life and, and, and around you? I think a bit of both. Like I really miss my girlfriends. You know, my, my girlfriends down here will have kids and we catch up for coffees and you know, play dates and stuff. I really, I really miss spending time with them. And I've got a toddler, so like looking after a toddler and a new baby when you're not supposed to go anywhere at home is, is like quite full on at times. So, and that's a bit of both. Like I'm enjoying the little nest that we've got at home and spending time with my family. But at the same time, I do, you know, it'd be good when everything is over so we can resume an, a normal life, so to speak. Dory, we are really interested. Was there a moment for you where you realised that everything was going to be changing and changing for a long time? Because we've found that with the people we've been speaking to, everyone has a different moment and kind of like a dawning realisation that work was going to change but also the news cycle was going to change and yeah. it was going to be a new normal. What was that moment yeah. for you? Can you take us to that day? Yeah, like I can't remember the exact day but I remember when when the isolation or the social distancing laws and when all of those started to become enforced, I was actually a bit scared because I was scared for my kids. We, no one in Australia really knew what was going to happen. I think Australia has navigated coronavirus really, really well and we've been lucky there. A lot of countries around the world haven't been able to manage it as well as us. So when you're seeing things about New York and about Italy and about Spain on the news, and I was thinking about my family and my babies and my friends. I was I was worried and I was I was afraid. And I think it's it's just that level of uncertainty about not knowing what the future will look like. I think that's what really is really scary for a lot of people. But I also have to say that now that it's the new normal, like it just illustrates how adaptable humans are because now everyone's just doing Zoom calls and conferencing calls and and FaceTiming and doing house parties, like the house party up with their mates and everything. So I think it's it's a measure of just how how adaptable and how how resilient everyone is. Like we've all just kind of gotten on with it, you know. I'm kind of interested in how you personally responded to what was changing around us all because I think you've been, I mean, we know mm. you've been through so much already and, and so mm. many of us are talking about this, the whole world in chaos, but do you think your perspective on chaos is changed forever because of how much you've gone through and, and it's you've kind of got a different perspective on it because it might be a blip for you? I think it's not that it's a blip, but I think it's just that hard times are inevitable they're inevitable for all of us whether you're going through a breakup or you lose one of your parents or you get a cancer diagnosis or there's a global pandemic across the world or you get caught in a bushfire like we all go through those hard hard times and hard moments in our lives and I think when you're going through those times you're not in the you're not necessarily in the headspace to think oh you know to kind of break it down and rationalize everything that you're grateful for to try and reflect on what you're learning from the experience I don't think that you can necessarily do that straight away. 
sometimes all you can do is just get through it. You know, I'll just get through the day. I'll just get through the period of time where, you, where you're hurting and you just feel like shit. I think that's okay. I don't think we need to be super happy and super optimistic and super positive every single day. I think I think that's kind of bullshit and I, I really think it is disingenuous too to how we are really feeling because if you're angry or you're sad, it's way better just to acknowledge it and just say, yeah, I'm, I'm pissed off or I feel really shit today or I had a bad day and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just another emotion, just like feeling happy or feeling elated feeling sad and feeling pissed off they're just they're just other emotions so I think the only difference with this global pandemic is that everyone everyone is going through the same hard time at the same time mm. yeah. I am really interested you touched on before you've obviously got your beautiful newborn baby but you also have a toddler have yeah. you described the situation to him what kind of communication goes on there when the world's going through something so bizarre do you explain that to your son well, you know what? I haven't because he's only two. So I don't know if he really has like the, I mean, he's very clever, but I don't know if he's got like the mental capacity to understand the global pandemic that the whole world is facing and the potential outfall that it will have on the economy and all of those sort of things. Like I don't, I don't think he would actually understand that. But I think how I want to approach it with my kids is just always try and just be as honest as I can be. So maybe when he's older, he'll say to me, oh, mum, why do you look different or why do your hands look different? What happened? And I'll just tell him that I got burnt in a fire. So I think that's the approach that I'm going to take. But, you know, they're still really young, so I'm not actually quite sure about that either. Talk to us about fear. I want to know about what your relationship with fear is like. I remember Earlier this year, you posted quite a searing Instagram caption during the bushfires about fear and how that was incredibly impactful for you. What is your relationship with fear like? I think it'd be like most people. It's like no one really likes that feeling of being afraid, whether it's, you know, whether you're afraid of getting up to give a presentation at work or whether you're afraid because your your town is surrounded by bushfires. I I think no one is really comfortable with it, but I think... I really like the word undaunted and you know how we always throw around the word fearless and I part of me doesn't like that word because I think we all have fear so I don't really think the aim well the aim for me it's not to be fearless but it's to to recognize that I'm afraid to recognize that I'm scared or I'm anxious or I'm stressed or whatever it is and and forge ahead anyway you forge ahead regardless so that's how I kind of look at it and I also think with fear, you can feel fearful, you can be afraid, but you have to not let that stop you from from doing something of meaning or from, from adding something of value to the world as well. Turia, for anyone who's listening to this who might be really quite struggling, say they are in a position where they may have lost their job or they're feeling incredibly hopeless or dark, what kind of advice do you have for people in that position to keep going, to keep getting out of bed and to build that kind of resilience that you have? Yeah, I think I think it was basically what I said at the start. Like, you know, when I was in hospital every morning, I just, every night when I'd fall asleep, I'd say to myself, congratulations, you you have made it through another day. Like, go you. And every morning when I'd wake up, my first thought would be like, I have to do that all over again because it's a new day and sometimes when the thought of getting through the whole day was so overwhelming I just say to myself well all you've got to do is just get through the next hour that's it don't think about the hour after that or the hour after that one just get through 
this hour. And I think, you know, that advice, if someone is going through a really hard time, I, I, I think it's quite relevant because we can all get through 20 minutes or we can all get through 10 minutes or whatever that time is to you. And I think it's this idea of, of, of lowering your expectations, not, not expecting that you're going to be able to achieve all of these massive, productively amazing things and just think, no, I'm not going to worry about that. All I'm going to focus is on just, just making it through the day. And I, I think that's a really good attitude to have. I really loved before when you were saying, you know, sometimes we can't be positive all the time. Like that's just bullshit to assume yeah. we can. And I think where there is this real dialogue all the time about the need to kind of be positive and to be glass half full all the time. And I kind of want to know, do you favor this idea of being realistic over positive or is it more a sense that like, yes, I can feel down and yes, I can feel shit, but it's kind of like not wallowing in that and changing my mindset to just sort of pushing through it? Yeah, I guess it, it, it depends on the day. So say you feel really shit, but then you have to go in. I mean, this is all examples from pre-corona as well, but say you feel really shit and you have to go in to a board meeting and it's really important. You've got to be on your game. You probably can't say, oh, you know, I'm just going to wallow in this shitness for the rest of the day and, and completely ruin my chance at that board meeting to, to pitch that really exciting idea I had. You know, you might say to yourself, yeah, I feel shit. I can't deal with it right now. I'm just going to keep going and stay focused with what I'm going to do. But I think if you have the, the time and the space to wallow in how you're feeling, I think that's, that's okay too. You know, if you want to feel shit, just feel it, just own it, just accept it. And if you don't want to, or if you don't have time to, or you can't in that moment, you can change it around as well. So I really think it's up to you whether you want to feel positive or, or negative or realistic, like you said. Coming up after the break, Taria talks about whether there is pressure that comes with being such a leading voice on resilience in a time like this. But first, a word from today's sponsor. Speaking of all this, I do wonder, what is sparking joy for you right now? What are the pockets of each day where you are finding joy? Spending time with my family, spending time with my little baby, really being present with them. I, I, like I always considered myself to be a present parent and I think I was but I think now I'm, I'm even more so and I, I'm actually really enjoying that aspect of being able to like spend spend time with my kids and actually be there and not be thinking about the myriad of you know other things that I have to do of course I still do that where we all do stuff like that but I think that's that's probably my most joyful moments of the day. What does motherhood mean to you? Like, I know that probably is a question a lot of mothers get a lot, but I guess in this time when you have the opportunity to be more present and to really kind of zero in on what matters, how has it sort of changed you? I think it just made me, you know, when you're really busy with stuff, you can't, it's hard to really enjoy the moment because you're busy. So your mind is not in the moment, but maybe thinking about all of the other things that are going to come in your day. I don't know if you guys can relate to that or not so you can be having a really nice lunch with someone but then you can be thinking okay this is going to send this email and I've got to go do this and I've got to do this and it, uh, that's a very human and, and very normal trait so I think the fact that I'm not as busy has been good because I'm I'm not so focused on on all of the things I have to do in that day at the same time I I'm excited for things to get back to normal as well and to be able to see to see girlfriends and to be able to go over to a mate's house and, you know, to be able to travel, to be able to do some more work. So 
I'm not necessarily saying that I'd like like things to stay like this forever, but if things are like how they are now, I think there's definitely some benefit to be looking at the positives from the situation. Do you think you will savor some aspects of this then and bring little aspects into your life after the pandemic, not so much completely changing the way you work or the way you approach your business when the pandemic ends? Yeah, you know what? I haven't actually thought thought too much about that because I, I think everyone's lives will be disrupted in some way from the pandemic, even if social distancing is every, and everything is over. I think it's sort of good because maybe a lot of people have realised that, you know, face-to-face meetings aren't as necessary as what they thought and maybe a lot of people can do more work from home or, you know, more things like this or more Zoom calls or whatever. So I think it would be crazy to think things can go back to how they were. I think things will change, but can I say what's going to change and what's not? No, I'm not not really. I'm, I'm kind of just going to go with it to a, to a certain extent. Can you see a world where your world kind of bounces back to normal after this? Because I know you, as you said before we jumped on mic, like you do a lot of travel, whether it be for speaking or yeah. you know, for whatever it might be, a book tour or whatever it might be. Can you see a world where you kind of just do bounce back and kind of forget about the quietness and the slowness of this period? For sure, because, you know, I look at the relationship with my partner, Michael. He's an incredible man. He's humble. He's self-effacing. He was there with me through my recovery. He'd be there every morning at 7 in the morning and he'd leave at 7 at night. He'd feed me. He'd change me. He did all of that really awesome stuff. Now, do you think I remember that stuff every time he forgets to take out the garbage? Or am I like, Michael, you haven't taken out the garbage. Like, take it out now. Or if he leaves his socks on the floor, you know, I'm like, Michael, your socks are on the floor. I told you not to put them on the floor. So I, I think it's very much just human nature to just, when things change, you kind of just forget how things were before. You know, I, I think that's just part of life. For sure, I will probably always cherish this this quiet time of, of solitude and, and being a bit insular and, and bonding with my family. But a month after, you know, social distancing and everything's been lifted, Will I want things to return to how they are now? I don't know, probably not. Is there anything that you're particularly excited for when things do go back to normal? Is there something where you're really hanging out? Because my personal one is I cannot wait for football, AFL, to go back and to be able to go sit in a stadium and feel the energy of 100,000 other people around me. I can't wait for that. Is there something you're particularly excited to go back to when this all ends? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I think I might be a really boring, sleep-deprived person because the only thing I'm looking forward to is like catching up with my girlfriends for a glass of wine. Yours sounds way, way more exciting than mine. I think that's what I miss the most is just seeing my friends. <laughs> Such an indication of like age probably, Michelle. Yeah. Um, like the energy of like hundreds of thousands of people all around me. I'm like, well, it's cool just to catch up with three girlfriends just for you know, a glass of wine. I just want to lie down. This might sound like a weird one, but I do sometimes enjoy asking people, particularly people who have like an incredible impact on the world around them, what they want their legacy to be. Do you ever think oh, about no. – I know it's a big one. It's a big loss. Oh, one. that's such a but big one. <laughs> but do you ever think about that? Like what impact do you want to leave people even, even as you're sort of working day to day? I, I do know, and I guess that was part of the reason why I did, you know, 60 Minutes initially, that I want, I've always wanted people to to hear of my story or to see the things I do or to read the things I create and and feel impacted in a positive way. I want them to 
to read a blog that I've written and think, wow, Therese done that. Maybe I can do this in my own life or to think, yeah. So I guess it's uh, I want people to feel good about themselves, good about the people that they are and to feel more more confident in themselves as well. I guess that's what I hope to do. Uh, do I think I do that all the time? Maybe, maybe sometimes, maybe most of the time. Do I do it always? No. I probably don't always make people feel that way, but that's my intention. I think you absolutely always make people feel that way. Do you mean in your personal life people might not always feel that way? Not a lot. When I'm yelling at Michael about the garbage, he probably doesn't feel, you know, very confident in himself. But I mean, like, how? <laughs> you know, and, you know, sometimes if you're at the shops, you might just be distracted or maybe not really be that present. So maybe if people meet me there, they might not get the full effect that they were hoping for. Yeah. Turia, this time of like solitude and quiet has also been great for creative minds. And I think you have an incredibly creative mind because you're not only a businesswoman, but you've also written books. And I'm wondering, has it been a good chance for you to kind of take stock of what you've done across your career and figure out what you want to do next? Or is it more a time for you to be like, I'm really frigging happy with what I've done. I'm really proud of what I've done. And where I am right now as a new mum is so great. You know what? I think yes to both of those questions. I think this period has made me 100% really happy with where I am in life. It's made me relish the time with my kids and my partner and being at home more and being able to go to the ocean every day and being in nature and all of that stuff. But at the same time, you know, I've got all of these business ideas I want to do and all of these things I want to create. And like, uh, you know, I've, my book manuscript is due this Friday. So I'm still. I still want to create more cool stuff and put it into the world. And I think those two ideas aren't mutually exclusive. Like I think you can for sure be grateful with where you're at in life and be really happy with it, but also still want to give more to the world as well. Can you talk me through how you know when an idea is a good one? Because you seem to be a person who continually makes great content and makes really smart on the mood decisions. And I wonder, do you have a process where you think of something? I'm guessing you probably have ideas all the time. How do you know an idea is going to really hit the nail on the head and resonate with people? You know what? I don't. I don't. I think of ideas and then sometimes they just fizzle out. Like they don't they don't go anywhere. Like this is the idea I had the other day. You know how on your TV you've got all the different subscriptions like Netflix and Stan and Disney. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if you had like a search function that searches all of the different subscriptions that you have so that you can just type it in so you don't have to go into each single one and search for it individually? That would um, be very, very helpful. I know, like why hasn't that been invented? That's like such a good idea. So I think if I do Why are you that, putting this out to the public now? That's a great idea. <laughs> I know, but I think if I do ideas like that, I'm like, oh, do I really want to be spending the time on earth that I have creating a subscription searcher function, whatever, so that people can watch more stand on Netflix. No, probably not. I don't, you know, I don't. So I think of ideas and I think about it, you know, whether or not it's something that I'd actually want to spend time on. And then also I have some ideas which are just shit as well that, you know, I tell a few people and they're just like, no, that's that's terrible or that's not going to work. Or And I I, I think that's okay too because I think not all ideas we have can be great and amazing and I think it's just you have to be comfortable with having ideas that are crap or that you try really hard to make them see the light of day but it never really goes anywhere as well. I think you have to be comfortable with that as well. 
like to be creative or to be able to come up with those sorts of things I guess you have to be kind of comfortable with failing a lot as well and not always getting things right and, and, and making a lot of mistakes. You said before that on the whole, people's experience of you, you think, yes, I probably do have a positive impact there. But sometimes, you know, you can never be sure in the supermarket if someone gets like the full experience of you, as weird as that sounds. And I think a lot of that sounds really wanky now that you've said it back to me. I just framed it in a wanky way. That's so me. Um, (laughs) I am kind of interested though, because people do, I think, come to you for wisdom because I think you've done such good work in giving out helpful advice to people. And is there a pressure? that comes with that where if people are looking to you as kind of like this guru on how to live resiliently and positively is there pressure that that comes with that I guess so but it's not it's not like I've ever tried to own that title like it's not in my Instagram bio you know like thought leader on resilience and positivity you know like it's not I just I just create content that I think has benefits for me in my life and I share it with other people so that maybe they could apply it in their life as well, and maybe it will be maybe it might work for them, or maybe they'll try it and be like, "No, it doesn't work for me." And I think that's okay as well, because not everything you create is going to be helpful or useful for everyone as well. Taria, all of that in mind, how do you define success? Do you often think about what your measures of success are? For me, like I think if you if you have relationships with people that make you feel good about being who you are, I think that's really a major marker of success. And I think working towards things that are meaningful for you, I think if you can do both of those things, have really good relationships with people that make you feel good about yourself and work on on goals or work on projects that, that you want to work on and that you want to spend time on, I think if you can do both of those things equally, I think that paints a pretty good picture of success. I know like... When I put things out there, at the time I really like it, but then when I look at it again or I read it back or if I think about it too much, then that little voice in my head starts saying, oh, that was that was actually a really shit piece of content that you wrote or you thought that writing was really funny but no one liked it or you thought that was a really interesting piece that you wrote for your book but no one's going to like it and you'll get slammed by everyone. So I think battling with your inner critic is something that, everyone does and I think if you're putting yourself out there I guess you just have to expect it as being part as part of the game I don't know do you guys feel like that about your podcast it's actually been something we've worked through a lot lately I'm really interested that you brought it up today because it's been a huge thing for us that particularly at the beginning I think when we were new and fresh everything was really exciting and lovely and the bigger the podcast Mm. gets proportionally you're going to get more critics at the same time and it's actually been a huge huge learning curve for Zara and I to deal with that, that it was our mm-hmm. choice to make a podcast and therefore it's up to us with how we deal with feedback or deal with that inner voice as well. Because mm-hmm. I think, yeah, certainly, I mean, I'm very interested to hear what Zara says on this. The inner voice of doubt can be particularly loud for me, speaking personally for a second, when I am by myself and I don't have those usual distractions. So isolation has been a really interesting time for me to grapple with that because that Mm. inner voice is so much louder when I don't have all the chaos around me. Mm. Do you, how is your inner voice, Taria? Because I think Michelle is right. I think when you put yourself out there and you realize that a lot of your work is public, you tend to try and look at it from different people's lenses and be like, well, how is someone going to read this when they hate it? And how is someone going to read this when they love it? Mm. Do you find it can be quite overwhelming sometimes? Or have you found ways to sort of compartmentalize that voice? 
I think like with my, I, I call that voice my inner critic and I talk, I talk a little bit about this in my, my goal setting course. I call my voice my inner critic and what I try to do is if my inner critic is being, you know, a bit of a bitch, I will, I will try to speak to myself like I would speak to someone I love. So I, I, I try not to talk to myself like, oh, well, that was a really stupid and silly article that you wrote and you didn't even spell check it, so you're just a total idiot. I say, well, at the time that's what you thought, Taria, and you proofread it and you got other people to proofread it and everyone makes mistakes and it's not a big deal and, you know, it probably won't even get picked up by anyone anyway. Like no one's going to... No one's going to notice the mistake that you put out there. So I try to speak to myself like I would speak to my friend. I think when you get feedback on the stuff you write that's not positive, that can be hurtful. But I think it's just I always remind myself, you know, like I'm, I'm constantly putting myself out there. I'm constantly creating stuff. And not everyone is going to like what I create. And my stuff's not for everyone either. And I think if you're creating stuff to please everyone, I don't think anyone will ever really love what you're doing. So I think if you just focus on your audience and, and pleasing them, however niche it is, I think that's what helps me most of the time. But also just acknowledging that my inner critic is there. You know, and if she's being really mouthy, I'll just be like, you know, you've said that stuff to me before. Pipe down because I'm still going to push this out or I'm still going to publish this or whatever. I think that's a really beautiful way to put it. Did it take you time to get there though? Did you go through a stage in your career where that inner critic's voice was very loud and you didn't know how to talk to her? Yeah, like I remember I just had my mask off and I'd, I'd been on 60 Minutes once and I decided I wanted to share my story, right? I wanted to go give speeches. And I rung up all these speaking bureaus and I said, you know, I'm Tria and I've, I've got this really cool story and they all just said, oh, no, we're, we're not interested. We don't want you to come and come and speak through us. And... I was really hurt, hurt. I was really upset and then I, you know, I started speaking for free at schools and public events and pretty much anything and everything I'd, I'd try to speak at. So I guess I would let it get me down but I would also use those opportunities as, as a bit of a, like a, a bit of a f*** you to people or a bit of a, you know, like, well, you thought I couldn't do it and now this is what I'm doing. So I think it's just recognising your inner critic is that understanding that not everyone is going to be in your corner and how do you use that to to further what it is that you're trying to do? We want to end every episode with a couple of recommendations for the listeners, Tria, because I think yes. there's so much good can come with a good recommendation, particularly at the moment. The first one we wanted to ask is a bit of a light one. What do you okay, think? Can, can I give you a recommendation first? Okay, I use the Drunk Elephant Hair Sculpt Scrub. Oh my god! This everything like drunk elephant is amazing. Drunk so elephant is new, so isn't it? Yeah, it's new, and I got their sculpt. I don't sculpt scrub. It's a bit of a mouthy one, so I got their sculpt scrub, and I used it last night, and my sculpt feels amazing. So yeah, that would be my that would be my recommendation. I that's amazing love to try that. What about TV shows and and books and stuff? Do you have much time to consume things? You know what? I actually do. Like I, I'm watching. Ozark. Ozark? Ozark. Yeah. I need to watch this. I haven't watched it and everyone keeps recommending it. Why do you love it? I guess because I think all of us wish we were a little bit more badass and, like, the people in the show are, like, quite badass and, like, you know, drugs and guns and that type of thing. 
So I think that's why I love it. I don't know if it's appropriate to – I watch it when I'm breastfeeding my newborn baby and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, he won't <laughs> take any of it in. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> what about food? What's your comfort food in isolation right now? Chicken soup. Chicken soup, yeah. Do you have a recipe? I, like what recipe do, do you use? I do have a recipe. Is there like a secret ingredient? How? What makes this one so good? Okay, so this is what – so what you do is you get like the whole chicken, a whole chicken. I use like the organic – macro thingo chickens and then you put it in the pot of water and you let it like simmer and boil so it's not that you you don't take like bits of the breast off and then put it in the pot you put the whole chicken in and that way the inside bits of the chicken go out into the soup it sounds really gross when I explain it like that but it tastes (laughs) it tastes tastes amazing and you put brussels sprouts in it as well God, you almost lost me at Brussels sprouts, but you've got me at chicken soup, so you're fine. (laughs) And the last one is what is one mantra or rule for life that you're trying to live by right now or you have lived by in the past that you would sort of pass on to someone else? You know what? I I love this mantra and it's what's the best way to eat an elephant one bite at a time. That's good. That to me just really sums up my entire approach to life because I never try and – attack something all at once and I never focus too much on on the bigger picture I, I really just take things back and think about what am I trying to achieve today or what's one small step that I could take today towards my goals Turia thank you so so much for making the time for us as you said you've got a little newborn and we are so grateful for you carving out a space in today to have a sit down there. and chat with us <laughs> oh. I saw thank the tiniest glimpse yeah yeah there he is again got the baby Bjorn on <laughs> no but thank you so much we so appreciate your wisdom too okay thank you so much Michelle and Zara I really loved being on your podcast keep it up it's awesome thank you <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this In Isolation episode of Shameless with Taria Pitt. For more from Taria, follow her on Instagram at Taria Pitt. If you enjoyed this one, you will also love our chat with influencer and disability advocate Jess Quinn from late last year. We will put the link to that one in our show notes. As for us, well, we'd love for you to come and join our community. We actually have a book club Facebook group where Shameless listeners share recommendations for great reads, including Taria's memoir. Join us by searching Shameless Podcast Book Club on Facebook. That is all from us, guys, and we will be back in your ears on Monday. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.